1 Corinthians 4, Paul finishes out the opening contrast between the two wisdoms that are at war with one another, the wisdom of the Lord and the wisdom of the world. As we look to the reading of God's word, if you join me in prayer. Most gracious God, our Heavenly Father, in you alone dwells all the fullness of light and wisdom. We ask then that you would enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit to truly understand your word. Give us grace to receive it reverently and humbly. And may it lead us to put our whole trust in you alone. And this we pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. Beginning in verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you've received it, why do you boast if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. Would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? The word of the Lord. Two teenagers standing there arguing over who should have to go out and shovel the walkway. Their grandma, without saying a word, walks past them, opens the door and goes out and begins to shovel the snow. That feeling in the pit of their stomach is what the Corinthians should be feeling with Paul's letter. He's done all the work And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And Paul lets the air out of their oversized egos. His point in what he says here is basically to hand them a shovel and say, follow my lead. We are told to imitate is a form of flattery. But it really depends on who you are imitating. Maybe a bit self-serving for Paul to say, pick me as a role model. Yet he has consistently demonstrated through his life a pattern of Christ-likeness. You need to be pursuing Christ in humility, though, in order to see it. The false wisdom of the world blinds us to what is truly worth imitating. The way of the cross, it stands in stark contrast to the way of the world. And we must allow the cross to critique our lives and to be the standard by which we measure our successes. Martin Luther spoke of two different pursuits of God, a good one and a bad one. The theology of glory and the theology of the cross. 
And, and here, the theology of glory, it speaks of our own glory. So that's the bad one. The good one, of course, is the theology of the cross. And by the theology of glory, it means that it looks like the world in one form, but we try to disguise it, what I would refer to as putting a fish on it. The world's way of doing business with a fish overlaying it. And all of that, it's the more that we do, the more it points to us, to our accomplishments, to our strengths, to our exaltation. It's Christless with a veneer. Kind of like that little fish, if you put it on robbers for Jesus, it loses all its meaning. You can't have robbers for Jesus. In the same way, if you are pursuing your own glory, you cannot be pursuing the glory of Christ. The theology of the cross is just its opposite. It's opposite of what worldly wisdom expects. It's the way of suffering, the way of weakness. It exalts others and it serves them. It sees the snow on the walk and just goes out and shovels it without being asked. The theology of the cross is what we are to imitate. It recognizes there is a cost and a consistency to discipleship, to following Jesus. But looking at that cost of discipleship, the Corinthians have forgotten this. They have been making much of themselves at the expense of Paul. And the mess they are in is from the foolishness they're following. Paul reminds them, says, what do you have that you didn't receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And then he, he shifts gears a little bit in verse 8. He says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you become kings. Now, these are actually slogans or catchphrases of the Greek philosophy called Stoicism. And Paul is repeating these phrases back to them in, in a mocking tone, a mocking or sarcastic voice. They have taken on the self-sufficiency that the Stoics prized and thought that they had arrived then at a higher place than even the Apostle Paul. That they had already received all these things. And Paul says, would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Meaning, of course you're not reigning. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Spectacles to the world. And, and here, Paul's intent is to highlight the path of the cross. If they think they have it all, he knows that he, Apollos, and Peter don't. They haven't arrived. These Corinthians think that they're sitting in the luxury boxes at the arena. And Paul is saying, we're here on the ground doing all the work. We're the ones suffering. He said, we're fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ." We're weak, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. Again, this is a hang-your-head-down moment for them as they're hearing this. Paul is showing them the foolishness of what they've been bragging about. What they now have in Christ came by way of great cost from others. And Paul lists some of that in verse 11. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. We are reviled. We bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. That's what it means for for Paul and his group to be following Jesus. You may recall in the book of Acts that Paul, with 
Priscilla and Aquila actually worked in the tent-making trade. He worked with his hands in order to provide for himself as he proclaimed the good news of Jesus to them. Now, Greek society looked down on blue-collar work. The educated elites did not work. So now, some of these church members are looking down on Paul. They're the very ones who benefited from both fields of his labor. The Corinthians received the gift of the apostles' suffering. There's a real cost to being a disciple of Christ. And if their current reigning in Christ doesn't look like this, doesn't look like Jesus, then they're not reigning with Jesus. If you follow Jesus, it looks like Jesus. Any role model that you look to needs to look like him. Paul and the others sacrificed their rights, their health, their lives for the sake of others. And this cost, they, they bore it day by day. There's a consistency, not perfection, but a consistency to their walk of faith. That's why Paul reminds them, verse 14, he goes, I did not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He strongly warns them the path of their glory will lead them from Christ. Christ is found in the basement, in the dungeons, and they want to be in the places of power and prestige. Paul consistently modeled Christ's path for them, and he calls them back to it. He goes on in verse 15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. We don't have an exact equivalent for that Greek word translated as guides here. It was a position held by slaves or paid workers uh, to be sort of like a, a nanny with an attitude. I don't know how else to put it. They, they were someone who watched over and corrected the children. They weren't really necessarily liked by the kids, but they were guardians and custodians. You know, sort of the get your hand out of the cookie jar kind of people. You know, that, that's what he's referring to, the people like that. They're guardians paul in contrast was a father for i became your father in christ jesus through the gospel i urge you be imitators of me he wasn't paid to correct them he was one who gave his life to serve them because he loved them as a father and when their way leads away from what they saw in him and the other real apostles They're headed down the wrong way. And in humility, Paul can tell them they should follow after him because he has modeled this Christ-likeness not simply in words, but in how he has lived before them. As a further gesture of his care, he he sends Timothy. We see that in verse 17. I'm sending Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you. What's he reminding them of? My ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church. It's not just an issue of his doctrine. It's how he conducted himself with them. They saw that firsthand. They got to rub shoulders with Paul and see how he actually lived. And he lived exactly what he preached. Consistently so. And now Paul distinguishes between sort of two groups within the church. There's a small group of troublemakers who are saying that Paul is really not all that. And now Paul is saying, when I come, the gloves are coming off. When I return, we're going to see who's all that. He goes, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out 
not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. One, one writer puts it like this. He's, when he comes to the Corinth, he's going to discover, are they just mere windbags talking? And he says in verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now, he's not talking about some sort of miraculous showdown, you know, roll up the sleeves and who's got the most is going to heal people. That's not at all what he's referring to. He's talking about the power of the gospel that comes with this proclamation. There's an authority that he has that's demonstrated in their lives as well. He's able to bring a matter through to its completion. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee refers to this power as the dynamic presence of the Spirit among them to save and to sanctify. It's that. It's the reality that when the Holy Spirit comes, the truth of Christ comes, it sets people free. And that's what you see. You see changed lives. Paul points them to the way of the cross, not the empty worldly wisdom and chest thumping that they're doing that has nothing in it. It is just talk. And Paul's saying, what, what changed you? The gift of saving faith changed you. Who gave it to you? God gave it to you through me. This isn't anything you've done. The power of the gospel at work in you, which is demonstrating this to sanctify you, to save you, comes to you as, as a gift. And he goes further, he goes, what do you wish? I, I come to you with a rod? Or with love and a spirit of gentleness? It's not a threat. It's a father talking to disrespectful children, as it were. Calling them out. They're puffed up and they think they, they have arrived at some higher spiritual plane. That they are mature and they have advanced beyond Paul himself. It's sort of that classic Star Wars line from, from Darth Vader. As he says, now I am the master. Puffed up with himself. And Paul is basically saying he's going to come and be all Yoda on them. Things aren't going to be like they thought. He's going to get there. If they puff up like that, he's going to take them down in the authority given to him by Christ, which really changes people. There are no shortcuts to the cost and the consistency of following Jesus. There's no special hidden lesson that they figured out to advance them to a higher level. And their ultimate role model in all of this is to be Jesus. Paul paints a very clear picture of this in the book of Philippians chapter 2. There he tells them that they are to have the same mind of, as Christ. When he says, what does that look like? He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and found in human form, he humbled himself even to become obedient to death, death on the cross. That's the picture. Do you want to know what a rival at spiritual maturity looks like? It looks like that. It looks like Jesus. Now, we are a people who value hard work and achievement. It's easy for us to look down on the snobbery of the Corinthians for thinking that they were better than manual laborers. That part of their culture produced an elitism that we see and instantly dislike. 
But our culture has forms of its own wisdom that we follow. And as followers of Christ, you and I are called to sacrifice our rights in order to serve others. Our rights, the sacred part of our culture, inalienable rights. We defend, protect, promote, and argue about our rights. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus had rights, too. He let them go in order to serve. Paul served with his hands. He served with his hands of people who looked down on him for serving with his hands. His response, I've loved you so much I'm going to call you my children that I am your father in the Lord. Who does that? You see, the gospel was in danger because of their refusal to follow the theology of the cross. Their theology of glory is an ever-present hazard. And it has the ability to mask itself as the real thing. Well, I'm not fighting for my rights. I'm fighting for the gospel. Really, it looks a lot like fighting for yourself. We can make our preferences into moral absolutes. And then that gives us permission to take the sword and go bashing into others. Even thinking that we are spiritually mature for doing so. Now to be sure, this changes through the ages. What one generation picks as wisdom, another one may discard. We're not fighting for slavery. We're not fighting for temperance. We're not fighting to keep the sacred text in Latin. But we fight nonetheless. It's easy to divide over our differences that we make into gospel priorities because that's always been the way of it. And most of the time, these priorities are really preferences for us. We can insist that a certain Bible translation is the only right one that we use. I've heard people claim that certain music to a song was the theologically right music and to change it was a sin, not just a preference, a sin. And I know at Faith Covenant we have all three groups of options for schooling present, public, private, and home, and we get along with the differences. Some have done all three. But I know out there in the broader Christian world, there are those who have made arguments of why one of these is the only right option. And if you really love your kids, you'd only do that one. And the odd thing is, is I've read... All three claims saying why the other ones are sinful and all three claims why theirs is the only moral one to do. We divide over who you voted for, over what policies you promote, over the perceived level of intensity you feel for said policies, practices, and people. I'm sure you've run into that. You must condemn our enemies with as much vehemence of us or you're not one of us. You must uphold our positions as strongly as we are. You're suspect. That's a division. 
that ought not to be there. Because the Corinthian danger is alive and well in every age. The way of our own glory always tries to get in the way of the cross. Paul and the other apostles paid a high cost for their ministries because they were following the one who paid the highest cost. And their lives were consistent with this because they imitated Christ. I love that in verse 12. When, they, when reviled, they bless. How hard is that to do? When someone reviles you, to turn around and to bless them. That takes a work of power. The power of the Holy Spirit. And we run to Jesus for that because we don't manufacture that within ourselves. Brothers and sisters, we are to go forth and be the aroma of Christ to a Corinthian world. And it's hard to do. Because people poke at things we hold dear. Because we have preferences that we want to make as moral absolutes. We want to take up the weapons of the world to to fight them on their own terms. That's not the way of the cross. And and whenever that stirs up within us, those wrong desires, we, we must and continue to run back to Jesus. We we go to the one who gave it all up. As we're told in Scripture, we love him because he first loved us. We were far from him, and he drew near to us. None of us sat around figuring this all out. Huh. I worked at this all night, and Jesus is the answer. Jesus came to you. That was a gift that you've received. And if it's a gift, then we automatically are called to move in the humility that that requires. That we would put on the mind of Christ, as Paul says in Philippians. That that these things that divide us, that we be very careful about. How we promote them, what we speak of those things. Because they are divisions. And the world wants to divide us. Because the world wants to pursue a theology of its own glory. That we must lay down. As we follow the theology of the cross. There's no substitute for it. And when you think of of models and role models. Those are the models that we look for. We look to those people. Brothers and sisters in the faith who have walked faithfully before us in that way, who really emulate that. And we uphold those things. But you have to look in low places. If you're looking high, you won't see it. If you're looking for places of power and prestige, you will miss it. Because it travels in the out of the way and hard to see spots. That is the way of Christ. That is the way of Paul. That is the cost of our following after him. And it is a hard cost, so much that we are unable to pay it. Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus has. Take up the mantle of the cross. 
take up its humility, take up its joy, its love as we go forth to where you can get to the point where people who are condemning you for the good things that you are doing for them and they say, I loved you as a father, a mother in the Lord because of the love of Christ given to me. Pray with me. Father, this is hard, hard to do. And so, Father, we first would ask that you would forgive us where, Lord, we have followed our own glory. We have followed our own pursuits. And, Lord, that you would not only forgive us, but by the power of your Spirit, that you would transform us. Lord, that we would know the path of humility, that we would know the path of service. And, Father, we would also pray that through our lives that Jesus would receive glory and honor that the radiance and the brightness of his dawning could be seen in the lives of redeemed men and women because we bear your spirit. So, Father, we do pray that you would go before us even as we leave this place, as we enter into our homes, our families, our schools, our workplace. We ask, Lord God, that we would be able to be a peaceful and unifying presence in the midst of a dark world because the light of Jesus rests in us. And we pray and ask this in his mighty name. Amen.